You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Jesus, we're grateful for this time and ask now that you would be in our midst. Lord, would you um, spur our hearts on to love and serve you? And we give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. So one life to live, the pursuit of knowing God. That's kind of the topic that I'm going with. It actually follows up well with uh, my sermon that I just finished up. That was not intentional, but it all kind of weaves together here. Um, I, Psalm 90 kind of is, is a jumping off point for us today in talking about what it means to live the one life that we have for the pursuit of the Lord. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. So we only have one life to live. There's a song that, um, that an old song from a, a writer back in the late 1800s, early 1900s, by the name of C.T. Studd, which would be an awesome name to have, by the way. Um, but anyway, he, he wrote a song called Only One Life. And the chorus to that song says this, Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Um, That refrain from only one life, C.T. Studd was a British missionary in the late 1800s, 1900s. He spent time as a missionary in China, in India, in Africa, in various places, serving the Lord and living his life to the fullest for the sake of Christ. And he realized something in his serving that his time on earth was limited And he only gets one chance at this life. And so for him, it was to live it to its fullest for the sake of Christ. It seems like a concept that we all should kind of say, okay, that sounds good. Let's let's get into that. The phrases that phrase living our life to the fullest for the sake of Christ, I think probably fits up there with the phrases like you can't take it with you when you die. Or there's a 100% mortality rate among human beings. We all know that, right? We know those phrases exist. And so knowing those things to be truth, it's, if, if time is all that we have, what do we spend it on? And that's where I want to dive in this morning. Where do we spend our time? What does it look like to pursue God and to live our life to its fullest? I want to begin with a phrase that many of you probably have not heard before. I didn't make it up. I'm taking it from some things that I've been reading lately, but that term is called theopraxy. Anybody have an idea what theopraxy means? You could probably figure it out. Um, The praxy means practice, and theo means God. So God practice, theopraxy, the practice of a godly life. Uh, And theopraxy is a life lived in by and for God, a life focused solely on God himself. The word literally meaning again, God practice, a life seeking to know Christ, a life seeking to imitate Christ, seeking God's kingdom, a lifestyle that seeks to view everything in life from God's perspective. Sounds pretty good, right? Sounds a little, I don't know about you, but I hear those things and go, now, how in the world do I begin to do that? How do I begin to seek Christ in all things, to live out my days for the sake of the Lord and nothing else? Well, that's what I want to talk about today. Theopraxy requires a desire to live in total concord with and in submission to the way and the will of God. 
the ways and purpose and character and nature and desires and thoughts of the Lord Himself. It's doing God's work in God's way, in God's timing, by God's enablement. In this life, time is all that we have to spend. Theopraxy demands that we spend it for God. So again, that's kind of a pie in the sky. I mean, I think you think, wow, how in the world do we begin to do that with all of our life? I think many of us could probably sit here in this room and go, I think I do that on, on some degree already, right? At least I try to. I try to serve the Lord. I try to do what God wants me to do. And so in some respects, it's easy. But, or it's not easy, but it's simple. That's the way I would look at it. It's not easy, but it's simple. The simplicity of it is learning to recognize God's voice and then doing what he says. Simple, doing what he says, learning to recognize his voice. Our biggest challenge, however, in that is not that we can't do what God asks of us, but that we fail to weed out of our lives things he's not asking us to do. This is why we feel so busy and frazzled all the time. We're doing too many things that we shouldn't be doing. Not that these things are, def- are, are necessarily bad. Often they're good. Or at worst, they're neutral. They don't, they're not bad or good. But they're not what God is calling us to do right now. So this word theopraxy is not a common word, but it's one that I think is worth living into. We know the term orthopraxy, right? It means right practice. To have right practice about ourselves. Orthopraxy is, is often contrasted with orthodoxy, which is right belief. I actually don't think the word should be in contrast at all. Because if we have the right beliefs about God, then they're useless if they're not paired with right application of those beliefs. The doing of God's work. Matthew 7, verse 21, if you've got your Bibles, we'll turn there and look just a little bit at what the Lord says here as he speaks to his disciples and to the Pharisees. Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That's one of the scariest passages in all of Scripture, I believe. When Jesus is saying, you're doing everything. You're doing everything that looks good on the outside. You think even that you have it all together. And yet you don't know me. You aren't doing the will of my father. Now, don't shoot the messenger. That's not my words. This is what Jesus seems to clearly say, though, is that he's making a connection that a knowledge of him must be accompanied by doing the will of the father or an action. Now, we often get squirmy in our seats when we start thinking about that, right? We start squirming around going, well, the reason I don't have to do things because God's done it all for me. 100% agree. Absolutely. In no way am I advocating that the things that we would do for the sake of Christ are actually earning us any kind of graces with God. We already have that. One of my favorite phrases is that God's not going to love you any more today than he does yesterday or tomorrow because he already loves you fully, completely. All the way. 
There's nothing we can do to earn that, nothing we can do to lose that, because Christ has done the work for us. And if we are in Christ, His love abounds much. But what's even more difficult in this passage in Matthew 7 is that those who Jesus is referring to in the passage seem to be doing the good things that we would like to be doing. And even do them, notice, in the name of Jesus. Verse 22, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? And in your name drive out demons, and in your name perform many miracles. So, how do we reconcile that? What do we do with that? How do we find the will of the Father and not just do things in the name of Christ, but do them in accordance with what He's calling us to do? It seems pretty important that Jesus would point it out. Over even good deeds and well-meaning actions is to know the will of the Father. Now, I get asked the question all the time, how do we know God's will? That's a tough question. It's a hard question. But it's actually a question that we can find when we ask and seek the Lord. I was at a... um, uh, Allison and I were on a trip last year, just the two of us, uh, trying to get away, (coughs) excuse me, from our kids for a few days and, and relax not that we don't love them, but we love them a lot, so much so that we need to get away from them at times. And anyway, uh, we, we going down. We went down to Dolphin Island for a few days to get away, kind of after is a post-anniversary trip, and we stop at the famous Peach Park. You know, if you're going to the beach, you got to stop at Peach Park. And so we stop, and it was lunchtime, and so we grabbed lunch and, of course, our peach cobbler and ice cream. And we're sitting there at the, at the lunch table, And Allison looks at me, and behind us is a couple with what appears to be, it's an older couple, probably in their 70s, and they've got another man with them, which is likely a brother or sister of one, or a brother of one of them. And so she looks at me and says, I feel like the Lord's calling me to pray for this person. And I said, okay, well, let's pray. And she's like, no, no, I think he wants me to go talk to him and pray for them, like out loud. And, you know, that doesn't happen to us often. I mean, that's, we're not sitting at a restaurant going, man, I feel like I need to pray for the couple beside me, make them feel really awkward while, we're, while they're eating their lunch. Um, but I said, okay, if that's the case, let's finish our food and, and let's go pray for them. And I confirmed it one more time. We finished and I said, we're just going to pray. And she's like, yep, we're going over. And I was like, and here we go. We're going right over the hill and we've never met them before. No idea who they are. Walk up to them and say, I don't know why, but I feel like the Lord is telling us to pray for you. And do you mind if we just say a prayer over you? And this sweet little couple in their 70s says, that is the sweetest thing I think anybody's ever done for me. And she shared some things that are going on in their life. She shared of some sickness that they've had with her husband. They've been married for some, you know, 50 years. And, and this was her brother who'd come into town to help kind of go through some medical things. And they asked very specific prayers. And we were able to just sit there and pray with them at Peach Park. And I walk away from that and I go, there's no doubt in my mind that that was the will of God. That was what God was calling us to do in that moment. Even though I was ready to go, we can just pray for him at the table. We don't have to make it awkward. That's fine. Nope, that's not what God wanted. God wanted us to go, and we probably never see those people again. I don't remember their names. I don't remember who they are. I don't remember what they look like. But I know that we prayed for them in that moment because that was what we felt like the Lord, and particularly my wife, uh, 
I wasn't feeling that, but I was like, I'm along for the ride. Here we go. Um, And so how do we know then the will of God? I think part of knowing the will of the Father so that we are in pursuit of God and living out the one life that he's given us is to listen. And we're going to talk more about that next week because that's what I want to really focus on. What does it look like to listen to God and follow after him? But in this text that we see today, the people did not recognize his voice because they didn't know him. They were doing things in his name, but clearly Jesus is saying, you never knew me. You know of me, but you don't know who I am. You don't live in personal relationship with me so that the things that you're doing are actually the things that I would desire for you to do. And so we can oftentimes find ourselves doing things, good things, going to church, being in small groups, doing the things that that we all love doing but still being apart from the Lord. And I think that's, a, that's what's so challenging about the passage, is that it requires us to say, Lord, what is it you want me doing? Help me to live into what your call is in my life. Theopraxy is not a heretical pseudo-religion that believes God works, God, God's works are God, or good works are God. It does not suggest we work or even earn our salvation nor am I suggesting such, as I've already said. It does not deny that our entrance into God's kingdom is based solely on undeserved grace. Rather, this is what theopraxy does, and then we'll, we'll move into it a little bit. Rather, it recognizes that repentance involves turning from devotion to or reliance on anything other than God to worshiping and depending on Him alone. Curtis Sargent, who lives in, he's in Dadeville, Alabama, of all places, in a little farm out there. He wrote a book where he talks a lot about this. That's where that quote is from. I want to read it one more time. Rather, this is what theopraxy does. It recognizes that repentance involves turning from devotion to or reliance on anything other than God to worshiping and depending on Him alone. So with that, this title of only one life, the pursuit of knowing God, what does it look like to know God in such a way that our lives reflect that pursuit and we live each day knowing we only have one life to give? I recently read some excerpts from St. Jerome. Maybe you know of St. Jerome. Maybe you've heard of St. Jerome. Jerome was a translator of the Latin Vulgate back in the 1500s which served as the official scriptures for more than... It would have been further back than the 1500s, sorry. I've got my numbers wrong here. He, way long ago, converted the Latin Vulgate and the scriptures were used in the Catholic Church for 1500 years. There's what I'm trying to say. Um, So this translation that Jerome did back back in the early centuries of, of having the scriptures was widely considered to be the most important translation of the entire Bible in history. Jerome, when he translated, took him 30 years to translate the scriptures into the Latin Vulgate. He moved through a series of underground tunnels and caves while he worked on the translation so that he wouldn't be caught because he knew he could easily be persecuted for messing with the scriptures. Atop of the tunnels today and the caves today 
sit the church of the nativity in Bethlehem. Outside the church, and some of these folks who've just been, you're all smiling there. Outside the church is a statue of Jerome. Did you see the statue where you were there? What did it have on his ankle? A skull. He, had a cha- he, had, he chained a skull to his left ankle as he was translating, as he was working on this project for 30 years. And according to tradition, Jerome chained the skull to his leg to constantly remind himself of the brevity of life. And the importance of having the scripture in this language. His life verse was Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. That's our verse that we just started with. His focus enabled him to make a massive impact on the world and on the kingdom of God. It seems in our day and age, it is increasingly more difficult to maintain such a focus. That we would focus on our mortality, knowing that our life is short. What are we doing for the sake of the kingdom? Our busyness, and another phrase that I use, (coughs) excuse me, called poverty of time. How many times have we said, if I just had more time? If I just had more time, I could take care of that. If I had more time, I could do that. Oftentimes when we say those phrases, and I'm speaking personally, if I say, if I just had more time, it usually means... If I really wanted to get that done, I would change my priorities to make it happen. If it was that important, then things have to change. I want to offer a solution to you this morning, and then I want to dialogue about it. The solution is that it solves the problem of time, and it brings us into laser focus for knowing God and for making the most of this life. What I'm about to suggest to you is that what I believe Scripture explains as a solution to living one life to its full potential. Some of you will hear it this morning, and you'll say, that's what I need to do. Some of you will hear it and go, that's really difficult. There's no way I can do it. My hope is that at least we would contemplate what it looks like in this solution. Let me read a couple passages, and then I'll tell you. John chapter 8, 28 says, I do nothing on my own initiative, but I speak these things as the Father has taught me. This is Jesus talking to the disciples and to those who would follow when they're asking him why he's doing the things that he's doing. And he says, I don't even speak out of my own initiative. I speak out of the things the Father is telling me. John 12, if you go a little bit further in John 12, he says, For I do not speak of my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak, and I would even say what to do, because Jesus would say that later. He indicates that he not only said and did everything the Father told him, but also he didn't do or say anything else. So what if we lived into a theopraxic life, where there was no room for anything outside of what the Lord is guiding us to do? We feel too busy because there's simply not enough time to do a both and. We can't live out the things that the Lord is calling us to do oftentimes. And as as hard as this might be to say, and do the things we want to do. I mean, that's our reality. I want to do things. And so oftentimes the things I want to do that are not what the Lord wants me to do, they're selfish acts that I'm saying I want to do them. But God would say that's not what 
I want you to do. It causes, it's, it, we have to then get to a place. So how do we get to a place where we solve the problem of busyness and solve the problem of time? It is that we begin to evaluate the things that we're doing. Are they sinful things? Are they bad things? They're not all going to be, by the way. But are there things in our life that we would say, these things are a distraction. These things are sinful. These things are pressing me away from the Lord. And I don't think, I think oftentimes we can recognize those. Most of the time, at least with the power of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, we can see because the Holy Spirit will bring up those things as sinful and we need to repent of them and get rid of them. But the one that's the hardest is this one. The neutral things. The neutral things that are not necessarily bad, but they're not necessarily good. Let's, I'll give you some personal examples. Turn it on the TV and spend an hour watching it. Going on to Facebook and checking what everybody else is doing. How's, how's life for everybody else? Let me scroll down. Let me see. How many times have you gone on Facebook to check something and then two hours later you're like, I'm still on here. Oh my goodness. What am I doing? It wasn't necessarily a bad thing, but it's turned into this huge distraction. So these are the things that we then have to say. Are they distracting in such a way that it's not allowing me to do what the Lord might be calling me to do? And I don't know what the Lord's calling you to do. It could be that the Lord's just saying, hey, I want you to spend more time with me. It could be that the Lord's saying, uh, when I was in youth ministry, you know, kids would come up to me and say, I, I feel like I want to serve the Lord, but I don't want to go and live in a mud hut in Africa. I'm like, that's okay. The Lord might not be calling you to go live in a mud hut in Africa. He might be. I don't know. But we don't know if we've got all these other distractions in our way. And I'm, I'm telling you this. And this is, these are things that I'm wrestling with right now, too, by the way. I'm not perfect in these things. And so I'm, I'm realizing, what am I doing that are distracting me from the Lord and not allowing me to really do the things that He would want me to do, but also do the things that He would want me to do when He wants me to do them? Because there have been many times in my life that like that illustration that I just told you when Alice and I were eating, we could say, we want to pray for that couple. And I would say, all right, I'll do that later. I'll pray for them tonight. Yeah, I'll, surely I'll remember tonight before I go to bed. No, instead of, let's do this right now because I think the Lord's, I'm, I'm almost certain the Lord's leading us to do it. And then still, there are good and noble things that we do. There are good things that we do, as is the passage that Jesus just talked about. You're doing things in my name. You're doing things that on the outside are very good things. But are they the things that the Lord is calling you to do? Are they the will of the Father? Are, are you listening in such a way that you're saying, that's the absolute thing that Jesus wants me to do. So it begs the question that I want to leave us with this morning and I want to dialogue about before we leave. Am I living my life day to day doing the things the Lord is calling me to do? Am I living into the will of the Father that I would say that's what Jesus wants of me today? Do I steward my time well? Is God calling me to do something that I'm not doing right now? What are the biggest areas I need to improve on in regards to this? So I'm curious, uh, thoughts, comments. Um, again, these are things that I haven't all, I haven't perfected, but things that I'm wrestling with, things that I'm working on. What would you, what are your thoughts on theopraxic life? I think that's, that's an excellent question. That's a very, and you, you mentioned a word there called balance. I think there is a, I think there is a balance where we say, all right, Lord, these are not bad things that I'm doing, 
but is there something that I need to be doing that is that, that you would desire of me more than this right now? Um, hard decisions. I don't think we're, any of us are called to neglect our ailing parents by any means. Uh, but at the same time, there might be things in life that we can cut back on so that we might live into the will of the Father. Um, I mean, Jesus said some pretty extravagant words when it came to even family and following Him and doing things, you know, that, um, that, that are really hard to digest and really hard for any of us to do. Um, but at the same time, it's one of those things that we look at and go, this is, this, is what you're, this is what you call of us. This is what our call to you looks like. And, and really spending that time of praying, God, what is your will? Sure, yeah. It's just, uh, yeah. yeah. And I think, again, that's where we have to say, okay, Lord, what are you leading me to do? What are you and that's where we have to step back and get out of our own way. Because I think that's where Jesus does the work. Um, because my own desires are one thing. But my own desires may not match up with his desires. And so um, hearing the voice of the Lord, again, we're going to come back to that next week. That's what I want to talk about. Yes, ma'am. Yeah, wouldn't it be awesome if we could see like multiple miles down the road? Yeah. Yeah, and I think our text today in, in the gospel, uh, you know, the, if you go, I mentioned uh, right before they come to the, the shore there in the, in the region of the Gerasenes, they've just encountered hurricane-type weather on the Sea of Galilee where Jesus is sacked out of sleep on the back of the boat, just chilling, you know, and the disciples are going crazy, like, we're going to die here. And, and Jesus stands up and says, oh, don't you have faith, you know? Trust me, I know what I'm doing. I brought you out on this sea so that you could experience it. I knew it was going to happen before I took a nap. I knew it was going to happen. Um, and, and so I think he was teaching the disciples, even the same thing that we're talking today, of what does it look like to, to move into the will of God knowing that we've got to go to that shore of the Gerasenes because I'm going to encounter this guy who's going to be demon-possessed and we're going to do some miraculous things and they're not going to like it and they're going to, they're going to resist me, but his life's going to be changed because of it and then he's going to change the city and the countryside because of it. Um, you know, it's, it's that type of stuff that I would say admittedly, I want, I want that kind of in tuneness with the Lord that I'd say, I need to go across the, uh, across the sea and I'm going to get pummeled. But this is where I'm supposed to go. This is what I'm supposed to do. There's no doubt that this is where God's leading me. Um, that requires us really one step at a time, but also just, like you said, backing away and saying, Lord, what do you want me to do today? I think that's a huge question to start the day with. And then be willing to listen. We'll often, I'll pray it, Lord, what do you want me to do today? And then I'll fill in the blank. Well, clearly you want me to do the following things. Uh, and I don't ever give him a chance to actually answer. What does he want me to do today? Because I think I figured it out already. Um, um, sometimes that's just, uh, I, I've got a good friend that many of you know is doing some work in New England. And, you know, he'll call and say, what have you been doing? And he's like, I have literally been walking around for three, three hours praying. Asking the Lord to show me what He wants me to do right now, and uh, and I feel like I'm this is where I'm supposed to go, and so He'll go there, and something miraculous will happen, you know, and it's amazing. That's that's what we're talking about of just sitting back and saying, Lord, what do You want me to do? Listening, and He may not come like we want Him to. Um, that's the other thing that I get in the way of too. Is Lord, what do You want me to do? Well, You must not know. I'll got it for you. No biggie. Especially with the distractions that we just talked about from 
You know, how easy is it to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? And then, oops, I got a phone call on this thing that's attached to my hip or a text message or a, something on Facebook or something on Instagram or whatever it might be. Yeah. Other thoughts? Well, we're about out of time. We might finish just a few minutes early, but uh, if there are no other thoughts, I do want to pray for us. And, and again, just um, I leave you with those things today to, to really think about. Um, that's do I steward my time? Well, that's the big thing. Was well, God calling me to do something that I'm not doing now? Is God calling me to stop something that I'm doing because it's not what he wants me to do? And where are the biggest areas I need to improve on the on in these regards? Um, hopefully that'll challenge you this week. Hopefully that'll uh, get you to a place where you're starting to to live into a theopraxic life of what it means to do the God practice. So let me close this in prayer. Jesus, again, we're thankful. I'm thankful for your word. Uh, as difficult as it is sometimes for us to, to really wrestle with, Lord, I know how hard it can be to want to do our own thing. But God, uh, would, you, would you help us to put aside our own thoughts, our own desires, so that we truly can live into what the will of the Father is. And God, we, we earnestly pray that you would show us what that is and give us ears to hear, give us eyes to see the kingdom. For it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.